0: The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point of Florida State's campus and the hottest room in seminal sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on WVFS.FSU.EDU, and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future shows, you can always go back and listen to us on Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. I am your host, Gabe Tissens, and it is my privilege to bring you the latest in the world of sports, with hopefully a bigger emphasis on soccer and Saints propaganda this semester, as our former host, Luke Hazen, is out of the picture. (laughs) Before we start the show, I have to thank all the former anchors of VN9 Sports who are guilty of letting me speak on air. Very quickly, shout out to Luke Fay, Gary Putnick, Brett Rutherford, Austin Reynolds, Olivia Rhodes, Sebastian in the booth, and of course, Luke Hazen, who is still around town to grace us with his presence. But of course, I am not alone in the booth as William Haynes is stepping up into my old chair to keep some Tampa blood on air weekly. William, how does it feel to climb through the ranks so quickly and finally be
1: in the booth for every single week? It feels surreal, Gabe. You know, started with the the station last semester my first time on air was trying to make sense of fsu football's loss to jacksonville state so since then a lot of good times with a lot of great people here at the station talking sports it's been a great time and moving forward uh, i look forward to being on the show every week with you and uh, we could not have joined uh, this at a better time with the nfl being in the peak of their season
0: yeah i kind of feel bad because i get to be the host now with playoffs and you know not having to talk about fsu football it's like I just get to jump right into the good stuff, but joining us as well for our first ever show together is Jackson Bakich, one of VD9's rising stars as well. Jackson, how's the start of the
2: semester been? Well, I'll tell you what. My semester, if it was any better, I think I would be dead. <laughs> yeah, but it's been very good. You know, I don't have classes on Mondays or Fridays, so mm. it's been nice being able to prepare for the show today, right. and I'm excited to get it going. You look prepared. Oh, I appreciate I it. I always hear that phrase from you, and I don't know I didn't expected but um I mean,
0: I'm here to stay yeah let's go last but not least on the panel is aj la glad to have you on the show once again any new year's resolutions because we haven't seen each other since last semester
3: yeah it's um been a great winter break um yeah i started uh trying to run every day two Ooh. to three miles um yeah i've been going try five days make get a week and rest but okay. yeah that's awesome been fun where do you usually run I usually uh, run from my apartment around Doe Campbell and back, so... That's a good one, yeah. Pretty nice out lately, too. A little cold, but yeah, deal with it.
0: It's been, it's been a cold one today in Tallahassee, for sure. And it is still a packed house tonight, as well as we have the Jack Oliaro posting all of our freezing cold takes on our Twitter account. Make sure and follow that one. And as always, shout out to Scott in the booth. But guys, we have to talk about what well, we didn't get a chance to talk about last week with the end of college football at last. Georgia and Alabama squared off the national championship once again um, after they, they battled it out for the SEC championship, which Alabama won. Um, I think everyone by now knows the outcome of it. 31 or 33, 18, my bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, this one this one was a little bit surprising for some fans like me because I, I thought Alabama was going to take it all once again. Uh, I mean. Nobody other than Clemson has put up a fight against them for the last decade, it seems. And Georgia, obviously being in the SEC, they've always seemed to falter against them with, with Kirby Smart and, and many other players throughout the, 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 the Georgia ranks. I mean, all of them seem to go to the NFL, but they can never seem to beat Alabama. But they finally did it after 41 years. The Bulldogs, their national champions,
1: wh- wh- where were some of the players of the game for you, William? Well, I know a lot will be made of Georgia's offense and Stetson Bennett's performance and all of that, and and rightfully so. But I think uh, equally important is the performance that Georgia's defense had, really making Alabama look mortal. Bryce Young, really to me the unanimous Heisman Trophy winner, threw the ball nearly 60 times, was intercepted twice, and uh, threw for under seven yards per attempt, so you kept him. Um, You know not not letting him make the Heisman plays that he's been known for this season and certainly looked uncomfortable in the second half and down the stretch with the pick six and then another interception uh, to seal the game and then the running uh, the running attack which for Nick Saban has been a key uh, for them and their championship teams Brian Robinson Jr. held under 70 yards about three yards per carry of the running back's average so holding them to 18 points and making their stars look like that I think was a huge part of Georgia's victory last week
0: Alabama, they did not look like themselves in the fourth quarter. Um, they just got outbodied, They got pushed around. And even Nick Saban said it after the game. It was, it was a little surprising, especially the way that Bryce Young threw the game away at the end of the game. Um, obviously, you can only do so much being a freshman quarterback, even for you know being the, the, the quarterback at Alabama. But I don't think we'll see the, the end of Bryce Young uh, by any means. But
2: Jackson, what were some of your takeaways from this game? Like you said, in the fourth quarter, Georgia was just the better team, and all those off season spring training, or excuse me, spring practices, all the conditioning, all the running, all the, the blood, sweat, and tears, Georgia was better prepared for it. And you know they won the turnover battle as well, and they out Alabama by 130 yards. And a lot of that's—it's a little shaky because uh, the NCAA calculates uh, quarterback. Uh, sacks as rushing, mm, yeah. but I believe Stetson Bennett. I can look at it real quick. Stetson Bennett had negative 24 rushing yards, and Bryce Young <laughs> had negative 40. So it's not like there was this huge uh, discrepancy. So you know they out-rushed Bama by 130 yards, which forced the Bama defense to soften up, and allowed the op- the Georgia offense to remain balanced and you know stick to their game plan.
3: So AJ. Hey, Yeah, I'd just like to say big props to Stetson Bennett. I mean, right when he turned that ball over, that questionable fumble, the Alabama player didn't even realize it was a fumble and got lucky that he recovered it with his foot inbounds. He went down the field on the right next play, threw that awesome ball with that awesome catch for the touchdown, and I think that really changed the tide Mm -hmm. for the game. Uh, They realized that, oh, we can do this. they, 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 they were embarrassed in the SEC championship game, and they realized that we need to step it up right here, right now, and they took that to heart in the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, I mean, Georgia, they had to face their demons. There was no other way that they were going to win the national championship without going through Alabama, but they did it. Credit to them and Kirby Smart. I mean, they've gone through a lot. Um, obviously, at the start of the season, for, for the first half at least, it seemed like Georgia was on pace to win it all. I mean, even Alabama wasn't really looking like Alabama. Um, They had their ugly loss against Texas A&M. So for Georgia to to actually lose in the SEC championship game and then blow out Michigan the way that they did, I mean, I I wasn't sure if Michigan was going to be in the national championship. That's how much confidence I lost in Georgia by the end of the season. Most of the teams that they were playing, they were not that good. So it seemed like another Georgia uh esque season where they you know cruise through the easy teams and then maybe have a couple good wins but can't really seem to do it against the best teams um so obviously this has been almost a week uh definitely been a week since since it happened so not much more that we can really talk about right guys is there anything that we missed well just
2: props to stetson bennett you know he finally won the big game yeah and you know a lot of people said it was never gonna happen and you know kudos to him he grew up as the home- hometown kid a uh, huge fan as a, a, a huge Georgia Bulldog fan. So kudos to him and Kirby Smart and the entire staff.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say props to Kirby Smart as well. He finally got over that Saban hump that was always hanging over his head. Uh, and that's, that's a good point. Going into
1: this season, Nick Saban had never been defeated by a former assistant. Mm-hmm. And in this season alone, he had been defeated by two prior assistants, Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M and here. Kirby Smart at Georgia we all know that the landscape in college football is changing a great deal and uh, maybe that's going to be a part of it moving forward.
0: Yeah I I didn't realize how much history Kirby Smart and uh, Saban had until that game they were you know throwing some clips about their time in college and you know even in the NFL together and it was like wow they they know each other pretty well but uh, it took Kirby a couple tries to finally get the best of Nick Saban but he sure did but moving now into Florida State sports, which we love to talk about, especially when they're winning. Um, obviously, we stay unbiased here, but it is easier to talk about FSU sports when they're thriving. And after two back-to-back clutch ACC wins against Syracuse and Miami, I think FSU sports seem to be trending upwards for the first time in a couple months. Obviously, football has not been the best <laughs> thing to talk about. And you know, speaking of football, Chuba finally. Um, transferred out so that's that's one more
2: thing we <laughs> yeah, Scott Frost is getting a real quarterback oh, yeah. I, I was able to watch Chuba in practice a lot um, He's a he's a guy that you don't think he's that fast and then all of a sudden you realize people aren't catching him so uh, look out to see how he does with his legs and his arm as well. I, I'm really excited for Chuba and um, Should be a good season for him.
0: Yeah Scott Frost and Chuba match made in heaven. I <laughs> Didn't think that was gonna be it me neither a couple years uh, a year ago, but um, yeah, now switching into FSU hoops, like I said, we have, or we don't have, FSU has Duke tomorrow night at the Tucker Center before playing UNF on Thursday night to wrap up their five game home stretch. And I mean, optimism hasn't been this high for the for the Seminoles in a while. Uh, they've faltered throughout the first couple of weeks in the season and um, even people like me have kind of questioned if these players are actually good enough to fill in the shoes of players like Scotty Barnes and the rest of the crew that's left for the NBA in the recent years. So what do you guys think about tomorrow night? Is there such chance that FSU can you know, upset the, the Blue Devils like Miami did uh, a week ago?
1: I mean, with the, the with the way the team is playing right now, absolutely you would say they do have a chance. I mean, of course, credit to, to Coach Hamilton for getting his team turned around, a team with a lot of fresh faces, as you mentioned, a lot of freshmen, a lot of young and inexperienced players. They lost three straight games in the month of December. They had a, a two-week COVID layoff. And then since then, heading into ACC play, they've won four out of their last five, including in their last game, a big win at the Carrier Dome going into Syracuse and getting a victory. Duke, they're the number six Mm -hmm. team in the country for a reason. They've played very well. We know they have all the five stars, the Blue Bloods, uh, all of that. But they were defeated by Miami a couple of games ago. So uh, they're certainly vulnerable.
0: Yeah, Leonard Hamilton said that. He is not super thrilled about playing Duke. Obviously, they have some of the best of the best with possibly the number one, number two overall pick. In the NBA draft, um, his name is Paolo Banchero. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but there you go. Um, but yeah, the Blue Devils—they're—they're they're looking to win. They—they're not going to get um, slept on, or, or you know, they're—they're going to go out and know that FSU is seven and one at home this season. Obviously, the Tucker Center is one of the toughest places to play in the nation, even though it doesn't get the recognition that it deserves, in my opinion. But AJ, what do you think might be the key for the Seminoles to put up a fight against the Blue Devils tomorrow?
3: I think the key for the Seminoles is to play their own game. They're starting to realize in these past couple games they're not the best shooting team. Obviously, the Seminoles are not good from the three-point line, uh, except against the Orange uh, last Saturday. They actually shot pretty well. But the Seminoles just need to play their, play their game, have a rotation of eight to 10 men, play really good defense, get out on the fast break, and just drive to the bu- bucket. Uh, yeah, I, FSU is at their best when they are driving, passing, and not shooting, really. That's, they're just not a good shooting team this year. Yeah,
0: they, they shot 55% from the field uh, against the Orange, like you said. Um, it was a pretty good performance. I, I was really convinced by Caleb Mills. He once again showed up. He's been one of the newcomers that uh, slowly but surely seems to be grabbing a spotlight for, for the Seminoles. And with, with, Leonard, with Leonard Hamilton, it's never going to be about one player. We know this. But players like Anthony Polite coming into the season, they, he seemed to be the guy. And so far, he's not been in form at all. And it comes down to the point where you don't need to ask these guys to be playing spectacularly or playing hero ball. But if they can just play maybe even a little bit above average, then this team should be in contention for more than what they are currently. Um, Jackson, is there, are there any players
2: that you think FSU needs to step up tomorrow night? Caleb Mills again, you know. If he's going to be the guy, this is the game that he has to prove it. And not – well, I take that back. That's a little harsh. (laughs) Uh, But I think the success of the game against Duke is directly correlated to how Mr. Mills plays. Um, But also credit to Coach Ham. after, like we were saying, the the slow start with a lot of new faces. It seems like he's finally starting to get the right – starting lineup it seems like he's finally starting to uh, get these get the chemistry between the players and get the defensive rotations in a spot where we're not giving up easy buckets i mean that's what i've seen the first that first few months of the season they could not get rotations on defense and it killed them It, it absolutely killed them
0: yeah i wouldn't say that leonard hamilton has lost my trust by any means but Like I said, the talent in this team, it it seems like it's a little bit below what we've seen in years past. William,
1: what say you? Uh, one thing I think, and you guys have really touched on it, is the consistency that we're getting more out of the complete roster. You know, one through ten or however many players you want to say are, are consistent contributors is going to be a part of it. Against Syracuse in the last game, Coach Ham started two big men, John Butler and uh, McLeod to start the game, trying to match the size that Syracuse had. That's going to be a big part of the Duke game as well. Duke, they have a seven-footer that had eight blocks in their last game, so that's definitely going to be a problem um, with, with some of these uh, big men, including Quincy Ballard who had 13 minutes. Uh, in the Syracuse game who had not really gotten much time earlier in the season. I think that could be a key uh, for Florida State matching up with uh, some big men on Duke.
0: Yeah, I mean, Florida State, they're, they're young. We know this. And consistency kind of carries over with that. If you're young, you need to learn how to win, but then also how to stay winning. And with Leonard, with Leonard Hamilton, you would think that that process would be faster, but it doesn't seem like that's been the case. But, you know, they've won most of the games for the last month. So they're probably peaking, if anything. So this might be the perfect opportunity for them to beat the Blue Devils at home and then maybe get back in, into the conversation of, hey, should we be ranked? Should we be changing our expectations back to what they were before the season? Because for me, they changed uh, after November and, and kind of going into December. Um, AJ, do you think that FSU should kind of stick around with the same expectations before the season, or or what do do you think the the fans should be thinking about?
3: I think Florida State fans need to adapt their expectations. We know they have a young team. We know what they're made of now. Uh, We see that we are improving throughout the season as we've won these last couple games, especially in ACC play. And at home, FSU is very tough to beat at home, as you've previously mentioned. So the Duke game should be really fun uh, for fans. It should be a really interesting game on ESPN at 9 o'clock. So I think we can't have our previous expectations of years past with the veteran leadership that we've had on the team before or with the Scotty Barnes we've had with the lottery picks. There's no lottery picks on this team this year. But, yeah, it's looking up compared to where we first started this year.
2: Any of you guys going to the game? I'll be there in all white.
0: <laughs> I'll be there as well. It's going to be a fun one for sure yeah well, speaking of fun and speaking of teams that broke a curse for more than three decades, the Cincinnati Bengals they finally did it they won a playoff game and now toss it up to the Detroit Lions as the longest team without or the, the team with the longest drought without a playoff victory um, after beating the Raiders uh, at home I believe 26 to nineteen in a game that had controversy I and mean, we'll talk about, you know, referees a little bit later on in the second half of the show. But I I'm just so happy for Cincinnati as a city, but I'm also really happy for Joe Burrow because I think that he is the real deal. And obviously he's surrounded by a lot of talent, but it does seem like he might be one of the future franchise quarterbacks uh, that a lot of, you know, kids are gonna grow up and, and you kinda see as as you know what a quarterback should be like and, and what the NFL is kind of going into is you know more, more quarterbacks, but also quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow that can move, but also still throw the ball from the pocket. William, what were some of your takeaways from that game?
1: The, the first thing I'll mention is, is kind of adding on to what you said, how much of a quick turnaround it's been uh, for Cincinnati. They got the first overall pick after the 2019 season, and, and Joe Burrow and, and head coach Zach Taylor had a bit of a bumpy road in Burrow's freshman season last year, and then uh, for them to be able to dra- draft Jamar Chase in the top 10, they've really just taken off since then. Uh, and I'll give credit to Las Vegas as well, you know, to come off the mat after a big win in Week 18 over the Chargers to get themselves into the postseason. I was questioning whether or not they had any energy left in the tank to get up for a big game on the road like this and in a huge environment for Cincinnati. Those fans really did show up uh, on Saturday, but uh, I, I questioned the Raiders' game plan a little bit. It seemed like going in, you know, the the pressure, the pass rush has been a big deal for them, but. Um, they've got some veteran cornerbacks and Casey Hayward and Desmond Trufant, some guys that have had some success in their careers, but they're older now. And the Raiders just said, well, we're going to leave you one-on-one in press man coverage on the outside with some of the best weapons in the NFL that the Bengals have on their side, Jamar Chase, uh, T. Higgins, and even Tyler Boyd catching a touchdown. So that's definitely not the route you want to go when <laughs> your secondary's week has challenged Joe Burrow to beat you with some of the best weapons in the NFL. And, and credit uh, to Burrow and the Bengals for getting it done. Zack Taylor, I mean, he's kind
0: of in that um, uh, who's the guy in Arizona? Um Clifton Clif- 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 yeah. Both of them, I, I I know they're definitely doing something right because their teams are in the playoffs. They're they're trending upwards from, you know, a point where they were at the bottom of the barrel, but at the same time I'm still not convinced by any means that they are the right coach to take them to the promised land. But for now, you know, he, he definitely will get a free drink anywhere he goes <laughs> in Cincinnati. Um, you know, 31 years, that's, that's crazy who day, um, Jackson, what do you, what did you think about, um, Cincinnati finally, you know, winning, uh, a playoff game? I mean,
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's the Joe Burr effect. And then we, we yeah. kind of touched, touched, on that just a second ago, but, um, I remember the the entire internet and you know a lot of radio personalities, and I'd say I was not saying I'm a radio personality, you but, sure are. but you know I I was in agreement with them that they made the wrong at that time they made the wrong decision to draft Jamar Chase, mm. and you know they should have went what was it Sewell? Yeah. right that, yeah, and uh, I'm not saying that Jamar Chase proved me wrong, but just them being in the playoffs and winning their game that itself proved me wrong. And Jamar Chase is having a great season, by the way. But uh, who'd have thought? Who would have thought? Who a- would have thought how well this combination is working? Um, and so, who knows? Who knows what this team is able to do? I mean, I thought they moved the ball. They weren't able to score in the red zone. That's, that's a major problem. But uh, they were definitely able to move the ball down the field. So, uh, who do they play next week? Do we Titans. know? Titans that should yeah. be a great game I should be, we'll a great be looking game. forward to it
0: yeah Derrick Henry's coming back AJ how much is that going to be a challenge because he hasn't played in a while so are the are the Bengals I think they, they got some linemen actually banked up so it might be a very contrasting style stylistic fight for for both teams with one of them trying to air it out and the other trying to lean on the running game how do you see that game playing out
3: Well, definitely, without saying, Derrick Henry just changes the whole momentum of the game. Uh, I see it playing out as being a really good game, actually. Uh, We've seen Ryan Tannehill progress over the past couple games without uh, Derrick Henry. And with him back, with A.J. Brown getting healthier, uh, I don't think Julio Jones is back yet quite. I
0: don't think so. so.
3: But even with that, I I do see the Titans... Bullying the Cincinnati Bengals uh, with Jackson saying, "My biggest concern with Cincinnati is they get down the field pretty well, and then they just stop in the red zone. Uh, they're a field goal team, and that's just not how you win in the playoffs." So, I I don't really see it. I see it being a lot more lopsided, me personally, for the Titans. But oh. yeah, I I see the Titans winning pretty easily. Yeah, we'll, we'll
0: see we'll see when we get to to the picks uh, <laughs> later in the show. Last game that we talked about before half, Bills Patriots. I was very much wrong on this one. <laughs> after picking the Patriots to go to the AFC Championship game in my little bracket that we had going on last week, we didn't get to, to reveal our, our, our how the the rest of the playoffs would go. We just went with with wildcard weekend. Uh, but yeah, I picked the Patriots to beat the Bills with Bill Belichick pitching out a perfect game on defense, and he he pitched the opposite of that. He actually pitched probably the worst game. Uh, ever uh, because Josh Allen literally scored a touchdown on every single possession. So obviously, everyone has different metrics. But for my metrics, I will say that that is the best game offensively you can possibly. And it was in the playoffs against Bill Belichick. I mean, th- I don't know. It's going to be really hard for anybody to top that. Um, the Bills, they're, they're finally over that Patriots cloud, it seems. They won the AFC East um, over them with, with a little bit of a fight at the end. Um, but if it wasn't for wind, in Buffalo a couple weeks ago, I think we would have never seen the Patriots the way that we did. That's how it seems like, right, William?
1: Yeah, it might have been fool's gold a little bit. And I was in agreement with you, Gabe. I was the only other one on the show last week that took the Patriots. I had faith in Bill Belichick to replicate that game plan that he had uh, in the middle of the season where the Patriots went into Buffalo with a 14-10 win. We know Mac Jones only throwing three passes over the course of that game. But Josh Allen did not look terrific in that game either, and uh, the win certainly was a factor. But... It was a very frigid night. I think they said windshield about negative 10. So uh, you wouldn't imagine it would be easy for anyone to move the football, certainly not the way that Buffalo did. On all seven possessions, if you take away the quarterback kneel down at the end of the game, seven drives and seven touchdowns for the Buffalo Bills. The Patriots' defense looked slow. They looked outdated. They couldn't hang around with all the weapons uh, that Buffalo had to offer, and Josh Allen had one of the best games for my money of his career. Yeah, that, that definitely is up there. I mean,
0: Scoring a touchdown every single possession—I believe it was five total for the night. Um, he looked spectacular. He looked like he knew wh- what he was doing. Like he was in control the whole time, and it's not easy to do that against, you know, any playoff defense. But the Patriots' defense was really one of the best ones throughout the season. Jackson, what did you see from Josh Allen? Well, real quick before I answer yeah. that
2: question, I just want to ask the question of myself, uh, of y'all. Mm-hmm after watching that game, mm-hmm. are the Bills the team to beat? We don't have to give picks, but are they the team to beat in the AFC? I don't think so, but,
0: no. AJ, what say you?
1: Yes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so either. They're going to have to go on the road at Arrowhead uh, to beat Kansas City, yeah, and I if agree. they do that, they're going to have to play the one seed in the Titans. So uh, it's still a pretty far way to climb for Buffalo, I think. I, I'm sorry. Please repeat the question.
0: <laughs> I was just really <laughs> excited. No, no. I was just wondering, what did you see from Josh Allen.
2: Perfection, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, it it was, like you said, every possession was a touchdown. It was, Matt Hack made his uh, playoff debut for the Bills and did not play a single snap. So, uh, Josh Allen was, he was gunslinging. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that, just he he played a great game. Yeah, this was one of the many blowouts this
0: weekend, and, you know, super wild card weekend. It was the first weekend um, where, you know, we had the the two-seed actually playing instead of having that bye week against the seven-seed, and... Obviously, the Patriots weren't in the 7th seed, but there were a lot of blowouts. We'll, we'll get into that in the second half of the show. This has been WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. And we are back on air here at WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. This is your host, Gabe Tisnes. And we were just talking about blowouts. And there's another one. Another one that I'm particularly not interested in talking about, but I'm sure William is, the Bucks. They obliterated the Eagles by halftime. It was never even close. The reigning champions, on their tour to go back to back somehow, some way, they won 31-15 against the Philadelphia Eagles. And Tom Brady didn't have his best game, perhaps. But obviously, what does that even mean if it's Tom Brady? What is a bad game? But nonetheless, he he did the most he could with his weapons, obviously, without Chris Godwin, without (laughs) Antonio Brown, this Bucks team looks a little bit different than we've seen before. Um, he's going to have to rely a lot more on Mike Evans, which he did. He went off for nine catches over 100 yards and a touchdown. William, what was your, you know, well, how did you rejoice? Let, let's just get
1: into it. It was a great game. I mean, it was complete domination with the Bucks jumping out to a 31-0 lead, and, and the Eagles had a couple of touchdowns. In garbage time, I was fortunate enough to be able to go home to Tampa this weekend, go to the game with my dad. We've gone to Bucks games forever. It was a great time. I really could not have asked for anything better for the first Bucks home uh, playoff game since 2007 and what ultimately ended up being their first home playoff win since 2002. So the first home playoff win of my lifetime, which is really an absurd thing to say. Um, I, I I thought the offense really, I mean, 31 points, could not have asked for much better. Brady was sacked four times, which uh, has got to be up there, if not the season high. There was some pressure for Philadelphia. You could tell that was something that they were king on uh, going into the game. Um, and a lot of injuries, a lot of guys coming back and um, trying to make do without that Leonard Fournette in the run game and trying to um, deal with life after Chris Godwin, life after Antonio Brown. So Mike Evans getting the lion's share of targets. And he had a great game going over 100 yards. And then on the defensive end, as I mentioned, a, cu- a, a lot of guys coming back from injury, Lamonte David, probably the most notable, the linebacker who uh, also missed the game the last time the Bucks played the Eagles. He uh, did a great job in, in kind of setting the edge against the run, and Devin White, the middle linebacker, always plays much better when David is in the lineup. So Philadelphia, I mean, th- the reality is they were a 9-8 and eight team. They got the 7 seed. Uh, they had not beat a team with a winning record yep. all season. They had the lowest strength of victory in the NFL. 35 percent, or you know, 350 was the record of, of the teams that they beat. So this is not a good team that was going into the playoffs, and the Bucks did what they were supposed to do, which was take care of business. Yeah, I'll give the Eagles this.
0: They were the number one rushing team somehow in the NFL. I don't know how that's possible, but if the Saints manage to beat both the Packers and the Bucks twice, and they get left out of the playoffs. And we know for a fact, after watching Sunday, that the Eagles were not better than the, than the Saints. Then I beg the question, should there even be a seventh seed if, if you can't even get the, the best seventh seed out there? Because I mean, obviously, I'm a Saints fan. I'm not, gonna <laughs> I'm not lying about that one, one bit. But I think everyone could agree, watching the Saints and the Bucks play out as a seventh seed would have been a lot better, a lot more enjoyable for even a neutral fan. But I digress. I mean. The Bucks—they they're suffering through injuries a lot this season, um, kind of like the opposite of what happened at the end of last year. So, you know, it, it's it's definitely interesting to see um, some players getting more more shine, um, seeing what the Bucks will look like in the future as well, because they obviously can't keep this crew together for too much longer. But for the crew that they have right now, losing Tristan Wirfs—that's a major blow. That I'm not really sure if, if it'll be enough for them. To overcome, if he can't come back, um, AJ. What are your thoughts on losing Tristan?
3: Well, I was just gonna point out to uh, William. Uh, I was gonna ask him how much. How much does that hurt the Bucks team losing Tristan Wirfs? And I also believe Ryan Jensen did get hurt, but he did come back into the game. Uh, so, h- how much does that depth on the offensive end, offensive side now? Uh, Leonard Fournette looking hopefully to come back next week. Uh, how how much does the depth lack or lack of death on the offensive side? Uh hurt the Bucks, I guess I should say.
1: Well, I think the first question to ask is how long is Trist- Tristan Wirfs going to be out? I believe after the game they said it was some kind of ankle sprain. And Bruce Arian said in his press conference today that there is a chance that he does play next week. So, you know, of course he's not maybe going to be the same, you know, nearly a, a unanimous All-Pro selection at the right tackle position. So that that is you know, a, certainly a subtraction if he's out. Uh, but hopefully we'll be back within the next couple of weeks. And the guy that they brought in to replace Wirfs was Josh Wells, who the Bucks. I believe run more six offensive lineman sets than almost anyone in the nfl and he is that six offensive lineman so he has gotten a fair amount of playing time and i thought he played pretty well over there and you also mentioned the center jensen who uh, looked like he got a pretty gnarly injury but um he's known as one of the more gritty players in the nfl and he was not going to be uh, kept out of that game. I think Leonard Fournette, he should be back next week. If he's not, that is an issue. I was not impressed by any of the running backs on this roster. Keyshawn Vaughn seemed like every time he got the ball, instead of looking for space, was just running right into contact. Thankfully, the Bucks were able to soften up the middle uh, of that Eagles defense, and he was able to, to get the job done. Uh, but moving forward, you know, it's not going to get any easier with the teams left in this NFC bracket. So, yeah, health is definitely going to be uh, a point of emphasis for this team moving forward. Given the injuries, I ask
0: you this. Which side of the ball are you most concerned about? Because obviously you still have Brady and and a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. But is this the point where the defense may have to take over for the rest of the playoffs for them to actually win it?
1: That w- that's certainly what happened last year. Uh, of course, everyone says, well, Brady, he goes to, you know, wins his seventh Super Bowl, and, and he was the MVP in that game. But it really was the defense on that playoff run that, that made the money for the Bucks. And um, like I said, it's going to get a lot tougher. You're probably going to be playing the Rams next week and then maybe the Packers uh, the week after that. So those are... Two pretty good offenses. And the defense is banged up. They had a lot of guys come back. Um, and, and they played well, but they played well against the Eagles. I don't know how that performance is going to stack up going, uh, in the next couple of games. So I think the defense is going to be uh, a big part of how much success the Bucks end up having.
0: Jackson, going back to the you know, two seed versus the seven seed dilemma that the NFL is kind of facing right now, I think a lot of the public feels like they should just go back to how things were with you know, the number two seed getting a bye. Do you do you see any advantage for the number two seed to actually play the seventh seed, um, in the sense that because they're actually playing instead of you know staying at home and not actually doing anything? Obviously they're probably practicing and whatnot. But there, there's been this myth about you know getting a bye actually hurts your chances in the playoffs because your players kind of get out of sync, out of the rhythm of of play. Do you do you see any benefit for the number two seed, or is this just a complete waste of time?
2: Well, I, I will say. Uh, you kind of touched on this earlier with you know the Saints and you th- them being yeah. another team. I'm sorry, <laughs> you this, but you know they were riddled with injuries and COVID has also been a huge factor. And you know how this season has gone for teams because you know there's been games where you know they have a lot of players out. There's been games where you know the players have been injured. A mixture of the two, um, and the Eagles just didn't have as many problems yeah. compared to the Saints. And as much as it stinks, so. You know, as this is – is this the f- – what? How many years have we had the, the seventh spot? This is the first year. The second year. Second year. Second year? All right. So the,
1: the two seed so far is 4-0 against the seventh seed. An yeah. average margin of victory of 13 points for the two seed.
2: So we've had two years uh, – d- this is the point I want to make. Mm. We've
1: had two years with the seventh seed,
2: both COVID years. So yep. I think we need to give this system mm. some more time, you know, once this pandemic is at its, its full end mm. to – really see if it's worth uh, yeah. redesigning, reshaping, or whatnot. So that's that's what I think. I think it's just too early to – I think the jury's still out on that
1: one. I think it's a good point. Uh, well, I think the reality is it's not going anywhere. Th- this move was made primarily for money. Number one, you get extra high leverage games at the end of the season for teams vying for that seventh spot. And then most importantly, you get that extra playoff game. Um, I guess the reality of it is the second seed pretty much still does get a bye because the teams that they're playing are, are not of quality. Um, but, you know, you, you ha- like the Bucks. they go 13-4 and four and get the two seed. I think they earned the bye with the way the system is set up. They don't get it. Um, I think it's only going to go the other way moving forward with more regular season games. We may see an eight seed at some point. It's definitely not not going in the opposite direction. Real quick before you go to him, to, to
2: AJ. Uh, but to answer your, your question from earlier, uh, no, I, I, I don't think, you know, it's a – it's an advantage to play that game because, like, like the Bucks have to deal with you know the mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. mm-hmm. injuries mm-hmm. of, of yep. Tristan. Wirt. It's just you. You know, it's uh, I've taken a critical thinking class here at Florida <laughs> State. Uh, just because there's some stigma around something, you cannot. Um, you have to look at all your opportunities. You have to look at you know each individual percentage-wise. Okay, well. If all your players are here for this game, and they're all well rested and ready to go. They should play better. Yeah. And you know, it, it's you know maybe that team just didn't play as well that week. I mean, it, who knows? But what I will say is, you know, we just have to wait for this system to Get
3: work back itself to out. Yeah. Correct. Asia? But I I will also say a benefit of having seven teams is that teams that are not as good are still looking to win games later in the Correct. year instead of just That's giving it point. up. Uh, I know, as a Dolphins fan, we started one and seven. We won seven games in a row, and I started getting hoping in that. And that happens to a lot of teams, where you're you're not you didn't start off well, but you start making some winning games towards the end of the year. And it's just as a fan, it just makes it that much better towards the end of the year, in my opinion. The seven seed allows for really cool stories like that. That yes. is the one thing I will say.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm a traditionalist, but nonetheless, we have to get going because we have to talk about the Cowboys and how they choked once again in the playoffs. I mean, it seemed like the upset of the weekend, but then again, it's the Cowboys. I mean, there's so many storylines that we're probably not going to get into all of them, unfortunately, but of course, we have to talk about Dak Prescott and how he didn't perform like, you know, the, the, Dallas, Cow- the, Dallas, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys quarterback yeah, that, that everyone loves and You know, he's no Troy Aikman by any means, but Dak has shown so many flashes of, you know, improvement and and hope for the future. Even I was saying, hey, he might finally be able to kind of break out of the Jerry Jones era of, you know, mediocrity and whatnot. But he didn't perform, unfortunately, uh, for Cowboys fans against the 49ers. And, you know, there's many factors with that. Uh, Obviously, he's working against Mike McCarthy and his coaching staff. um, But Jackson, what, what were some of your takeaways?
2: I felt like I was, you know, no disrespect to Tony Romo. I felt like I was, you know, watching a Tony, Tony Romo-led mm-hmm. Cowboys game in mm-hmm. terms of the fact that they just can't win it. They, they can't win the playoff game. And just his inconsistency in this game is, is obvious. And then it's just the, the microcosm is just the final play of, you know, not getting down in time and not being able to spike the ball. It, and people blame the refs, uh, but that, that is the right call. That is how the rules are set up. And, you know, we can talk about the Bengals game and, you know, how I feel about that and, and how it might sound a little bit like a hypocrite and I'll own it. but uh, Sports will do that to you. Yes, very much so. But, you know, I, you know how comparable – just, I'm just kind of wondering, how comparable is he to Tony Romo? Because Tony Romo hasn't won a playoff game. In he won one. And, okay, and he won one. Okay, pardon me. And, then the he sh- and
3: he should have <laughs> won against the Packers with that. Okay. Should have won. Should have won. Could have, yes, yes. But yes. It,
2: it, it has been – you know, I, Tony Romo had a very long career with with the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, people are giving Dak a, a lot of hate. And I think since Romo's departure, his resume and his status has risen. I mean, him being a commentator has definitely helped that. But, mm-hmm. you know, how how much how much do are we you know kind of harping on Dak, which we should? He's getting paid forty million dollars a year. But I don't know. It is feels like a Marchington Tony Romo game again.
3: And I I just kind of have a follow-up question with my own opinion. Who do we put the blame on more? Do we put the blame on more on Dak or do we put it more on Mike McCarthy? In my opinion, it should be more on Mike McCarthy.
1: Uh, I think to that end with Mike McCarthy, he certainly does deserve criticism. I mean, where were the Cowboys to start this game? The 49ers came into this contest with their hair absolutely on fire after you know Debo Samuel went off in that Rams game and they were able to sneak into the playoffs. I mean, Dallas was not able to get anything going. They went three and out on their first possession with the big sack, and uh, the, the 49ers were up 13 points, 13 to nothing. We were halfway through the second quarter before the Cowboys even crossed midfield. It felt like they were sleepwalking in the first half of that game, and I think that does come back uh, to coaching against Mike McCarthy. But... Also with Jerry Jones or whoever is handing out these contracts, Dak Prescott, <laughs> they're a $40 million man. When, you're, when he's the, the third highest paid quarterback in the NFL, you have to be a difference maker in a game like this. When Zeke Elliott is running for two and a half yards a carry and your offensive line is struggling, you get sacked five times, you're supposed to make plays and, and, and pull your team to a victory, and he didn't through under six yards per attempt and through an interception uh, in, in a key moment as well. They, they only scored 17 points. So um, I, I think that really pressure deserves to be on both of those guys. Hey, Jim. I,
3: I would agree. Uh, a big thing that really came across me while I was watching this game was all the penalties the Cowboys had, mm-hmm. especially the pre-snap penalties, and I always point that out as being the, the coaching staff's problems. It's just a lack of discipline and practice, lack, lack of concentration that they've installed in their team. It's, it was just painful to watch the first half, if I'm quite honest. For the, uh, As a guy, I was cheering for the Cowboys. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was... And they didn't have anything going for them until that errant pass by Jimmy Garoppolo, which I don't know what he was doing on that throw. Just go down, take a sack at that point. Just don't throw the interception.
2: But, yeah, um... And not only that, but pre-snap penalties—they really should not happen in the NFL. These guys are getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, they don't have to worry about, you know, that math test they have coming up here, like <laughs> like some of the players here at Florida State do. But you know, it, it, when you see pre-snap penalties or just you know, kind of silly mistakes in the NFL, it makes—it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, what's going on in these practices. What what is I, I don't know. I mean, if we recall how Mike McCarthy
0: got the job, he confessed to saying in an interview that he 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 didn't actually watch a single play or something like that of the 2019 season when he was kind of taking a sabbath. You know, uh I mean, if he's lying openly in an interview, still getting the job, and now it's kind of you know obvious that his time with the Packers is more so about Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it, it screams to me that Mike McCarthy should not be in Dallas next year, but guess what? Jerry Jones disagrees. He is staying one more year at least. But
2: Brian Flores is gone. Great job, Stephen Ross and Miami <laughs> Dolphins. Great job. With two Dolphin
0: fans on panel, I mean, of course we have to throw that in there. But I mean, Dak winning the MVP. I- it's just really sad. I, I'm a big Dak guy. He's a great guy on the field, off the field. But he didn't have his best game. But other players that didn't have his best their best games. C.D. Lamb, you know, fantasy darling for most people, he disappeared for most of the game. Trayvon Diggs, he got torched throughout the whole game. We we've known about his inconsistencies throughout the season and obviously being a rookie. You Can only ask so much of him, but he definitely was, you know, watching ghosts out there. And then obviously we have to talk about it. The Umpire. The Umpire was Probably the MVP for the 49ers <laughs> because it wasn't just once. It was twice when you know they had their whole fake punt fiasco, which the Dallas Cowboys somehow converted to stay alive in the game. I thought that was gutsy and a little bit too dangerous for my liking. But nonetheless, they converted. And then as they're trying to get set up after trying to deceive the 49ers into actually not being prepared for the next play, the Dallas Cowboys were in a delay of game. Um, and you know, eventually it culminated with, the final play of the game where Dak has to run a QB draw because somebody called it and he didn't want to check out of it. Whoever's thought that was nonetheless it resulted in the umpire having to grab the ball from the center after Dak tried to give it to him. This is way more confusing than it has to be and you know it, it, it there's so much to talk about here but I guess this is where we talk about refs We you know with, with Cincinnati having their their little fiasco when the ball was being thrown in the air in the red zone while Uh, I think Tyler Boyd caught the touchdown. There's been a lot of talk about refs this weekend, as there always is with NFL playoffs, but what do you think was the most egregious call this weekend, William? Um,
1: I I, I think it's probably a tie between the the play in the Bengals game and and the final play of the Cowboys game. I think in the Raiders-Bengals game, the refs, would, it was a bad look either way. Uh, Joe Burrow was not out of bounds when the whistle was blown, uh, so the play should have never been blown dead in the first place. And then uh, to go against the rule book, which states, you know, if, if a whistle is blown at any time during a play, you got to redo the play, plain and simple. Uh, you can argue whether or not the whistle affected the play or not. I, I really, you know, could care less on which side of the argument uh, you come down on. It. The play should have been redone. So botched on multiple times. Um, so I, I would probably give the advantage to that one. The reality in, in the Cowboy game is Dak Prescott, I said it, You're your $40 million man, you have to know where you're going with the football in that spot. You have to know that you got to get the ball to the official because he has to spot it. You can't just give it to your center. You're not going to be able to get the snap off in time, and, and that was an unfortunate way for that game and their season to end. I think you get into a conversation of do you follow the law strictly by each word
0: or do you follow the spirit of the law? Jackson, we were talking about it earlier before the show, and you kind of hinted at it as well. I mean, there, there seems to be kind of no right answer for this, but what do you, what do you think about just the Bengals' you know, scenario because we've already kind
2: of touched on the Cowboys? Well, I will say one thing. Um, my ignorance of the exact wording of that rule because I didn't know that they redo the play I thought I didn't know about it either I thought it was a because I know about the inadvertent whistle I have always heard you know people talk about it I didn't know that the play was replayed so that kind of changes my opinion on a little bit but you know I I was talking about this scenario earlier if if somebody is about to catch a ball in the end zone and the ball is you know Halfway there. Halfway, you know, halfway yeah. there. You know, at the at the receiver's fingertips, mm-hmm. and the whistle's accidentally
0: blown. You're not expecting the whistle, so you, therefore you should still be kind of covering the receiver, trying mm-hmm. to make a play.
2: Yeah, so it felt like in this instance it did not affect the play. I mean, uh, the whistle was blown one second before the play the play was ended. So. You know how, how do you – I don't know. I don't. There is no right answer. Like 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 William said. Well, I guess the the right answer is you just have to play the way the law is shown. So. Major?
3: Yeah. Um, so kind of playing devil devil's advocate to that. Uh, the the league has set up in a way that it punishes defensive players so many times mm-hmm. for playing past the whistle. And you know the the cliche coaches always tell you play to the whistle. Mm-hmm. And so. I can see it being very hard, as especially as Raiders fans and the Raiders football team. When you hear that whistle, I mean, it should be a stop of play because the whistle was blown. And no matter how bad the whistle was, we, I, as he said, there's no right answer. It was just the ref's fault, whoever blew that whistle. Is, it's all on the ref's right, right there. But you got to play to the whistle, and because of the way the league shaped itself uh, against defensive mishaps, I guess, uh, bad calls against the defense, More being more offensively minded. It's it's hard being Raiders defense in that position for sure.
0: Yeah. I guess we've talked enough about refs, but we haven't really touched on the 49ers, and obviously we still have to talk about the Chiefs and the Steelers. Um, but I guess the one thing for me with the 49ers is, yes, they were better than I expected them to be. Obviously they came from the NFC West, which is one of the best divisions in football. But my one big thing was... Jimmy G. In his four playoff starts in the fourth quarter, he is 9-for-20 nine for 93 yards, two picks, no touchdowns, a 19.4 rating, and I mean, we, we remember the Super Bowl. We remember that throw that he missed, and there seemed to be another one in this Cowboys game. I forgot to who it was, but if he would have completed that, it seemed like the game was in hands for San Francisco, and there were many times that the 49ers should have been in complete control, and maybe this has to do with Kyle Shanahan. hand. I don't know. But overall, I just don't believe in Jimmy G going forward. And, you know, it's not that Trey Lance is already better, but it just begs the question is, is this just a ticking bomb where the 49ers are never going to get to where they want to be? Because before the season, there, there were people that were saying the 49ers were dark horses for the Super Bowl, and they sure as heck seem to have a really good team. Um, obviously, now they lost uh, Nick Bosa and Fred Warner. They might be coming back against the Packers. But going forward, uh, well, what is your read on the 49ers?
1: It's not a great look. Uh, it really looked like the 49ers were trying to give this game away. And, and as you mentioned, that, that's not the first time that that's happened to a Kyle Shanahan coached team. It seems to be a tendency if you have a lead going into the fourth quarter, that game is going to find a way to come down to the wire. And thankfully, uh, the Cowboys in that situation were not able to get out of their own way seemingly, and San Francisco is able to escape. But, yeah, you're, you're not going to get that opportunity. Uh, if, you're, if you're beating Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay by ten points in the fourth quarter and you start to slip, He's going to take advantage, and he's going to beat you in that game. So uh, I really think for them, especially next week, they're going to have to play a much more perfect game than they did against Dallas.
0: With quarterbacks, there's, there's always going to be hot takes. There's always going to be opinions. But I think we can all agree that Big Ben is a Hall of Famer, and we are going to sadly miss him as he played probably his last game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was one of the players that you know I grew up watching. He was in the first Super Bowl I ever watched. And you know Big Ben is full of controversy on and off the field. But it's, it's, it's a big, you know, space that he's leaving there for, for the Steelers. Uh, we'll touch on the game itself, but what, do you, what are you guys' thoughts on, you know, kind of the Steelers' future? Because Mike Tomlin has, you know, been kind of in that, that coaching bubble for a while now, and he still seems to be doing his best with whatever Pittsburgh's got. But this might be kind of the end of an era for the Steelers, especially with the way that the AFC North is looking like these days.
3: Yeah, uh, I, think, I think it's time that we're starting to realize that Big Ben isn't who he has the past couple of years, and this year especially where it seems like he's throwing three or four-yard passes only, dump offs to Najee Harris, nice little screen to uh, Devant, uh, Deontay Johnson, or, or, uh, and then he tries to go long to chase Claypool misses him by five yards. I think it's time in Pittsburgh that ben, the Ben Roethlisberger uh, air is over, but the question is, do they go through the draft to get a new quarterback? Or do they go through free agency as there's a couple big uh, names in free agency quarterbacks this year? Yeah, and,
0: you know, the, the Steelers, they're, they're one of the best franchises in the league. Of course, they're, they're not going to, you know, go, go down the Detroit Lions route. I, at least I don't think so. But it's kind of like the NFL is, is moving in different directions. And, you know, with the Packers, they, they've been able to retain their philosophy for, for even, you know, these last couple of years. A lot of it is, you know, Aaron Rodgers carrying them on their back, but obviously Big Ben wasn't able to do that for the last couple of years, and we've seen a decline. I thought he should have retired at least two years ago, um, but obviously he, he's been better than some quarterbacks, to say the least. Um, William, wh- what are your thoughts on Big Ben kind of retiring? Like,
1: any cool memories? <laughs> I don't know. Uh- I think, unfortunately, for for him and his legacy, I, th- I think as AJ mentioned, he he's retiring probably two or three years too late. Uh, certainly, this year it became glaring. He was he was hamstringing this offense significantly. I mean, they they're not able to a- attack the, the field more than five or ten yards downfield. Uh, th- throws the ball 44 times under five yards per attempt. I mean, that's that's some of the worst numbers I've seen uh, of any quarterback, and we've seen it from Big Ben this season, week in and week out. Um, it's really hurt the Steelers' ability to kind of move on and move forward. Thankfully, they have one of the best coaches in the NFL, Mike Tomlin, who has yet to have a losing record in his 15 seasons as head coach. Um, this is certainly the end of, of, of Ben Roethlisberger's career, or at least you hope so because seemingly there's nothing left uh, in the tank. And as far as where they go in the future, the, making the playoffs are going to be picking towards the end of the first round. I really think with this roster and this coaching staff, you go aggressive. Try try and uh, make a call to Seattle about Russell Wilson. Maybe check in with the Raiders about Derek Carr. Get a guy who's already established in the league now and can take this team forward because I think there's, there's certainly guys on this roster, T.J. Watt, Defensive Player of the Year. They've got weapons on offense. Najee Harris, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster. They have a roster right now that can win big games. They just need a quarterback at the helm that can get it done.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's going to take time to get back to where they want to be, but... They still have a pretty good solid core of not just football culture and philosophy, but, you know, players like T.J. Watt and, you know, have Mike Tomlin at the helm. If they choose to keep him, it it might not be as much time to get back to the winning ways of the the Steelers. Um, I guess picks real quick before the end of the show. We're probably going to go over, but don't tell anybody. Um, William, NFC, uh, probably going to be Packers-Bucks once again, isn't it?
1: I'm thinking so. Yeah, I, I think the 49ers have a chance if they can replicate their success against Dallas early in the game, really establish that run. It's going to be about 16 degrees, so you would think maybe that hamstrings the Packers' passing ability. But Aaron Rodgers is not new uh, to that situation and weather in Lambeau Field, so I think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers find a way to get it done. And uh, I, I think it regardless of who wins tonight between the Cardinals and Rams, either team on the West Coast having to go cross-country to play the the Buccaneers in Tampa, I think Brady rolling the defense may be getting a little bit healthy they get uh, maybe Leonard Fournette back they're able to uh, beat them in advance to the NFC championship in Green Bay
0: I agree I think Bucks Packers is destined to happen what that will look like I don't want to even think about
2: it right now because I'm still salty (laughs) about last year (laughs) Jackson what do you think I think Bucks Packers is going to be what's going on I I I just think both of those teams are too solid they're too good Uh, two great quarterbacks tons of playoff experience Super Bowl winning quarterbacks can't see it any other way. I and I have to agree with all you
3: guys as well. Funk's back. Funks
1: all right, back William, what we got? I'll go with the Titans. I think sometimes we can be guilty of watching these teams on wildcard weekend and proclaiming who's the team to beat while the number one seed gets the week off and we kind of forget about them, especially when they're a team like the Titans. But I think, as AJ had talked about, getting Derrick Henry back, it's a huge part of their team identity. Um, a lot, they dominate time of possession. You force a mistake or two out of Joe Burrow, it's going to be tough is to come back in that game so I like the Titans uh, to win in advance and then Bills Chiefs probably the game of the weekend I'll take the Chiefs at home Uh, Patrick Mahomes has played absolutely outstanding in Arrowhead during the playoffs in his career Buffalo I know they were perfect offensively a week ago but I think that could be more of a testament to the Patriots defense and where they're at so I like the Chiefs uh, to vanquish the Bills in advance
0: I like the Chiefs and the Bengals I'm definitely being a Joe Burrow homer but you know it could happen, <laughs> Jackson. What do you think?
2: I'm going to d- disagree on both of those picks. I'm I am riding the Joe Burrow bandwagon. I'm riding the Bengals bandwagon. I I love the weapons that they have. I love how cohesive they are. Uh,
0: so you're agreeing with me. I picked the Bengals.
2: Oh, pardon me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. Yeah. We're in the same bandwagon. And they, but however, I thought I thought you said I said Chiefs. Chiefs. Titan. Uh, you said Chiefs. Chiefs, and Bengals. That's right. Okay. righty. Perfect. perfect. And I but
3: I'm going with the chiefs as well. So oh, yeah, there sounds you go. good. A- <laughs> and I I'm, I'm I'm going with the Titans. Uh getting Derrick Henry back's big big plus and for my surprise I'm going with the Bills. Ooh. I'm I'm riding the bandwagon. Uh yeah, they looked really good this weekend. It's a rematch from last AFC Championship. Uh, I remember that video of Stefan Diggs looking at the passing of the trophy. I think mm. the Bills are here and ready. It's their time. The Bills they, they also have a
0: little drought with the Super Bowl. <laughs> so it, it's going to be nice to see you know, either the, the, the Bengals or the Bills or even the Titans uh, kind of maybe make a push. But that's all that we have. We definitely ran out of time. But it, it was a good time here with Jackson, with A.J., William, Sebastian and Booth, Luke <laughs> overseeing us. This has been Gabe Tissness, your new host. Scott. And, and Scott, sorry. <laughs> this has been W. Vesta the voice of Florida State.